0: Everybody tuning in online And I want to give a special welcome to a handful of the Porch Live locations Welcome all of you, but Des Moines, Iowa, Northwest Houston, a newer location Southwest Minnesota, Tulsa, Northwest Arkansas, Scottsdale, or Phoenix, Arizona All the Porch Live locations, everybody tuning in We are continuing this series about anxiety and mental health And let me start by asking a simple question What is the greatest movie of all time? Nacho, Nacho Libre, wow, wow. That's a hot, that's, that's a hot take, man, Nacho Libre. I think, I think that the greatest movie of all time is Remember the Titans. If you have not watched that movie, we're actually gonna watch it for the rest of the night right now. I also think that the best genre And this is where I'm going. The best genre of movies, in my opinion, is feel-good movies. Movies that have a happy ending. The worst genre of movies, well, let me start. The second worst genre of movies is the suspense horror movies. In my opinion, I think there's something wrong with you. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I know. I know. I know. I know. There's like a following of that. And even below that, I would say the worst genre of movies is the dramatic tragedy movies. Movies that end with just sadness, that leave you feeling like, why did I just pay $14 for a ticket and $18 for popcorn to leave here feeling so sad? Perhaps the most real experience I had of this was when I on vacation with my wife, this is a handful of years ago, We were down in Galveston, Texas. It was in the summer and the beaches in Galveston are not the greatest beaches in the world. And so we decided we're gonna go see a movie. Go see a movie. My wife said this movie that she wanted to see. She buys two tickets. We go to the theater, go sit down. And here was the movie that we began to see. I didn't know anything about it. It was called, The Fault in Our Stars. Wow. I am about to really offend some of you anything about the movie so I go on I'm sitting there I'm eating the popcorn and like I said I like feel good movies so I'm like this is gonna be great if you don't know this movie it is the most tragic movie of all time it's two cancer patients who fall in love and I'm sitting there watching the movie like where where is this going right now so I pull up my phone I pull up Wikipedia I just read ahead on the plot (laughs) and discover that The movie that I was hoping would be a feel-good, like, oh, it's bad now, but, you know, it's going to be great and everything's going to go away. No, it gets worse. The guy dies. At the end, they fall in love. It's just a tragic thing the whole time. So I'm reading ahead. And I I literally get up in the movie. My wife is sitting there. She, like, loves it. I get up in the movie, and I just walk out Just say, i got to go to the bathroom. And I just stay out the rest of the time. I don't even tell her. I went and sat in the car because I was like, I'm not watching a tragic movie about two people who are young and they fall in love and then tragically one of them dies and they both had this cancer. That is just, life is sad enough. I don't need anything else to make me more sad. And I literally just sat, I didn't even tell her. I just sat in the car, waited for it to get done, frustrated that we had just bought tickets to this incredibly sad, tragic movie. It was just so depressing. Now what does that have to do with what we're gonna talk about tonight? Well, that's an example of a moment where those feelings of sadness and grief and depression and not wanting to feel that way, and that happens in life, and it's not just as a result of a movie, it's a result of living in this world. It happens in regards to something that we call depression. But unlike in that scenario where there's depressing thoughts and, hey, I can walk out of the theater, there's going to be depressing seasons or seasons of depression, and what do you do when you can't walk out of the theater of life? How do you cope? And what does God call us to do to deal with and to fight against the issue of depression? Now, depression is an issue that the Bible says is related to anxiety and that they often go hand in hand together. In fact, there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, that says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. One of the sources and causes of depression is prolonged anxiety. Anxiety, or excuse me, depression, is one of those feelings And coming out of COVID, the spikes and the levels of people who have just walked through, and circumstantially, they've gone through things that have just created a deep sadness. And what do you do in those moments when there isn't an ability to just leave the theater? And that's what I want to talk about for the next handful of minutes, because this is an increasingly common issue. By depression, let me define it. According to Oxford Dictionary, we'll get at some of the Bible's examples of it. It's called severe despondency or dejection. Typically felt over a period of time and accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy. That it is an extended season of grief. It's when sorrow is not just something that you experience in a phase, it becomes almost a way of life. And so how do you cope with it? And Tragically, this is an issue the church hasn't talked a lot about. And Christians have not always and don't often open up and share about it. It's unusual to even hear somebody sharing about their depression. Uh, my son, I've shared this before, he was when he was like four, he learned the song Waymaker. And at the end of the live version of Waymaker, which is the Waymaker, Miracle Worker, at the end of the live version, the singer goes into how your name is above depression. And as a four-year-old, he would listen the entire way through. And he would go out just in public and he would sing that song and around total strangers go into, your name is above depression. It was like, And it's unusual to hear a four year old, but it's also sadly unusual to hear a 40 year old. Like we just don't talk about it. And it's an issue that is plaguing a lot of our lives. Studies have shown that in the past 10 years, the cases of depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts have increased doubling in the past 10 years. And then you add COVID on top of all of that, and there's epidemic levels of people experiencing depression, deep sadness. And if that's where you are tonight, I think God has words and truths to meet you where you are and to help you not just have an immediate fix for it, though I wish that was the case, but a framework for how to battle it. Americans, as it relates to anxiety and depression, take three times more antidepressants than the rest of the world combined the leading cause of suicide in america is depression there are more suicides than homicides in america you are more likely to die at your own hands because of depression than to be murdered it's a really tragic thing and it's a heavy topic and i think that's one of the reasons why we don't often talk about it but it's also a really important and really relevant talking because Statistically, either you are in a season of depression or someone around you is. And so what do you do when you can't leave the theater? We're going to talk about battling depression for the next handful of moments, specifically what's true about your depression. And then I want to walk into how we fight against depression. So what is true about your depression? Number one, it's real. The idea that depression is not something that actually can happen to somebody or they can't get in a state where if they just prayed more or they just had a little bit more faith, they would go away. is not true. Someone can be in a state of depression that is real. Biblically, there are examples of man after man after man and person who experienced what we would classify as an extended state of grief, sorrow, being overwhelmed by depression. What do I mean by that? The oldest book in the Bible is a book named Job. Job was a guy who had everything. He had the business, had the family, had the house. And in a moment, it all got taken away from him. And here's how he describes after that happened, after all of his children were killed, after foreigners basically destroyed his business. He said, depression haunts my days. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaw at me relentlessly. With a strong hand, God grabs my shirt. He's describing what he feels. He grips me by the collar of my coat. He's throwing me into the mud. I'm nothing more than dust and ashes. I cry to you, oh God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. It's incredibly honest. As he just displays and describes, this is how I feel right now. Elijah, Elijah's another guy that saw God move in incredible ways and yet also found himself Towards the end of his life, wrestling with what would be described as suicidal thoughts or depressing feelings, where he says this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse four, I have had enough, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Jonah, in the book of Jonah, talks about his battle with depression. King David, King David, a man after God's own heart, wrote so many of the Psalms, Over 40 of the psalms that we have, there's only 150, which is about a third of them, are laments. Lament is a song of sadness. These would have been worship songs that they sang, many of which King David wrote. And here's one example of David pouring his heart out and saying, this is how I feel. Where are you, God? I feel all alone. In Psalm chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, he says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred because of grief. I can't even see straight. I've cried so much that my eyes are blurred. Maybe the most dark, powerful depiction of depression comes from Psalm 88, where the author writes this. I am forgotten and cut off from your care, God. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. And then it ends with some of the darkest words, I think, in the entire Old Testament. Darkness is my closest friend. I mean, he's like a Simon and Garfunkel, hello, darkness, my old friend, way before that ever happened. And he says, this is what I feel like. And over and over throughout the New and Old Testament, there's people describing what today would be classified as, man, I just feel so down. Jeremiah, as a final one, says this Jeremiah is one of the saddest books in the whole Bible, is a book called Lamentations. And it's just lament or sorrow after sorrow. It's what the book. Lamentation, just means laments or sorrows that he depicts. And in it, he says, I have cried, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 10, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think God preserved these? Why would God have man after man after man? Those are just some of the examples. We could keep going of person after person who describes in raw, real, honest, emotional ways God, where are you? Because I'm crying and I don't even have enough tears left to cry. Could one of the reasons be that he wants you to know if you've ever experienced the pain and sorrow of a broken world, you are not alone. Isaiah chapter 53 describes Jesus in a way that I know is not the way that I run to think of him. It says he was a man of sorrows, deeply acquainted with grief. And if you're in that place where it feels like darkness is your closest friend, you're not alone God is not far. There is still hope. And we're going to walk through why that is the case. But you're also in good company. Because many of the Christian men and women in the Bible, even outside of the Bible, Mother Teresa, Charles Spurgeon, which is a pastor, over and over men who battled deep depression and yet found hope as they walked through that. This world is so broken. I mean, eventually you just get... Kicked, and you see how messed up and hurting and hard it is. And God is good and there's hope and we can have joy in whatever we face because of Christ. But it's also a really tragically sad world. This is a picture of my grandfather. He is, if God doesn't do something, soon going to see Jesus face to face. And he's 93 years old. And he's been married to... His wife, my grandmother, for 66 years, and he's losing his mind. And as often happens, whenever you um, are on your way and passing away, your mind can go. And that's a full life. I mean, he, he's a follower of Jesus. He's been married 66 years. He's 93 years old. I think a lot of us would go like, "Man, that's amazing. That's incredible." And as incredible as it is, it also will end in a very tragic, heartbreaking, sad scenario where he will leave behind someone he's been with seven decades. Life is so tragic. Our world, the scriptures say in Romans chapter 8, it groans with the pain of childbirth. And I didn't come in here, my heart is not to make you feel any sadder or make any of that. I'm just saying if you look at the world and the brokenness of it and feel sorrow, it's not because you're broken, it's because it's broken. And because you've been made in the image of God and you can look and you can grieve and say, this is not how it was supposed to be. And God agrees, which is why Jesus came and why we have hope. Because one day, all that is wrong will be made right and put back together. So first idea, what's true about your depression? It is real. The second idea is that it has a cause. There is something that causes your depression. There's something behind it that is causing it. And it could be biological. It could be physiological. It could be a hormonal deficiency. There could be something there. But it also could be something spiritual or something physical, as in like some way of operating that is causing it. It could be hidden sin. There's a number of different cases. In Psalm 42, David, the psalmist says, why are you so down? O my soul. Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope In God, why am I depressed, is what David just said. This is the question, if you're walking through depression, that you have got to seek an answer. Seek with other Christians in your life in answer to. Seek with other people in your life in answer to. Why am I depressed? There could be a number of reasons. As I mentioned already, prolonged anxiety, which is what Solomon 3,000 years ago brilliantly wrote. Anxiety, Proverbs chapter 12, in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes him glad. Solomon knew what today people are figuring out, which is anxiety and depression can go hand in hand and often even go together. And prolonged anxiety can cause depression, which is why if you ever see a psychiatrist, if you saw a psychiatrist or someone in your life, you know that they often will medicate anxiety disorders and depressive disorders with the same pill. You're anxious? Take this antidepressant. You're depressed? Take this antidepressant. Solomon knew that years and years ago that prolonged anxiety... If you don't deal with the anxiety and the roots behind it, it can create depression in this life. Like I said, it could be something biological or physiological. It could also be fueled by circumstances. That somebody you know and love died. That the person you thought you were going to marry, be your wife or be your husband, you guys broke up. You got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. You lost your job. It could just be disappointment that happens. And often, it's, it's not even just one. It's like 85 things happen at once and you just feel so overwhelmed. I don't know that I've ever dealt, dealt with or battled or, or exactly experienced all the depression. And so I won't pretend to understand and fully be able to empathize. I do know that God understands it more than any person you have ever met. And he understands your heart and your mind and he understands you. And he loves you. In 2018, one of my closest friends left. JP teaches here all the time. May even be back at some point soon. And he we went to go lead a church in, in Waco. And it was so, I was so caught off guard. I mean, we, we did it for like 10 years doing ministry and teaching together. And I remember, and God just stirred his heart and brought him away. And I just remember feeling the closest I've ever experienced to depressing, depression. of going, man, I thought we were going to do this for life. What are you doing, God? And then Garrett, who also has been here recently, he at the same year, left, and it was like, man, everything and all the different thoughts and plans and hopes that I had. And I know that pales in comparison to what a lot of you guys are experiencing and the loss that a lot of you have experienced. But whatever the range and whatever your experience with it, there's a cause And the emotions you feel today will not be the emotions you feel tomorrow. And God wants to meet you in the midst of the pain. The Psalms say he is close to the brokenhearted. It may not be any of those circumstances. It could be depression is a result of unconfessed sin. That you are addicted to pornography, you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and that is God's conviction on your life. David in Psalm 32 says this, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. Am I saying that depression is always a result of unconfessed sin? No, but it could be. Another cause behind it could just be struggles that come with living in this world What I mean by struggles? I mean things that are not exactly sin, but they also are not exactly ideal. Example, perfectionism. Any perfectionists in the room? Raise your hand. There we go. Five of you. The perfectionists in the room, you live constantly thinking everything could be better, and you hold standards for other people and constantly find yourself being critical and cynical, and it's hard not to. And candidly, the hardest person you are, the person you're hardest on is yourself. And the Bible says that perfectionism is a bad philosophy and bad style or bad way to live because you live in a broken world and you have a broken heart or a broken sin nature. That according to Romans chapter 3, everyone has sinned and everyone falls short of the standard that God requires. Meaning nobody's perfect, including you. The average person, a study concluded that the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. You don't think you're going to get one of those wrong? Of course you are. But if you and I live in this state of like everything could be better and I could be better and I could be better, it can be depressing because it won't. Another common cause as it relates to struggle, I think, is just the self-focused culture that we all live in are probably all unaware of how selfie-focused we are. We're the selfie generation. And the world around you that tells you, you focus on you, you do you, you speak your truth, not the truth. You speak your truth. You do what you think is best. And that self-focus of how great I am, how awesome I am, or same cause, but a different style of it is how terrible I am, how loath I feel towards myself. And self-love and self-love are both the same problem because they're focused on self. And you were not created to focus on self. Life focused on you is not how life was created to be lived. And it will compound and create depression. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, you and I are not to operate out of self-focus, but rather out of others-focused. And it uses an antidote of humility. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other people. That humility is not thinking bad about yourself. Man, I'm terrible. Man, I'm horrible. It's not thinking about yourself and thinking about others. And when you do, you experience life. It's like you weren't made to focus and be consumed about me and about me. And when you do and when I do, it can lead to depression. I don't know what it is, but there's something, there's a root behind all depression. There's something that's causing it. And like David in Psalm 42, you got to ask, Why? am I so discouraged you may need to invite others in in fact you should invite others in especially if you find yourself unable to answer that question in my backyard there's a a tree that we wanted to have cut down because it was just kind of an inconvenient like totally ugly get out of the way this large plant and so I had uh, tree cutters whatever those are called arborists they came out And I asked, hey, what would it cost to cut down the tree? And he was like, it'll be 200 bucks. But if you want the stump and all the roots removed, it'll be an extra 500 bucks because I have to go get a stump grinder and bring it back and remove it. And I was like, man, I'm going to go for that 200. That sounds great to me. And I'll take an ax out to that stump or do something. And I'm sure that'll be enough to put it back in its place and keep it in the ground. Definitely was not. And so six months later, the tree full grown all the way back to the size it was when the guy came out and cut it down. Why? Because... I hadn't dealt with the roots. And when you don't deal with the roots of something, it doesn't go away. It may look a little minimized or it may be able to you know, pass and not be noticed by everybody, but it's not going away. And it's going to keep coming back. And in order for you to address the anxiety or to address the depression, you have got to deal with the roots. There is a reason and a cause behind your depression. And so how do we fight depression? It's the final idea I wanna talk about. Again, this is not a one-stop shop fix-all. This is a framework that maybe you've never heard taught from the Bible before. The first part of us fighting it is understanding that you are what would be called an integrated person. Here's what I mean by that. You could throw any level you want. It just means that what you do physically impacts you emotionally. What you do physically can have an impact on your soul or spiritually. That all of these things are connected together. And so anytime we battle anxiety or we battle depression, it involves attacking them on different fronts. It involves addressing them on different fronts. So addressing them physically, addressing them emotionally, addressing them spiritually. God cares about all of those things in a way that far too few of us understand that God actually cares about your body, it's the only body you have. In fact, it says it's his, it's on loan and you and I are called to steward it in this life. And one of the ways that we fight depression is by fighting it physically. What do I mean by what you do and how you live can affect your soul experience of peace? Like, let me use a hypothetical illustration or example. Let's say tonight, after the porch gets done, you go home. You stay up till 2 a.m. in the morning watching Squid Games. And you're wired. You can barely, you know, you can't fall asleep. Eventually, you fall asleep. You wake up. You miss your alarm tomorrow. It's 8.30. You're late for work. You rush to the car. You stop by Starbucks. You eat some latte and sugar and carbs. And you drive in bumper-to-bumper traffic, panicked about the fact that you're late for a meeting. You run into your meeting. You sit there, and you're still exhausted from the night before and so after the meeting you go to the office vending machine, you buy a Celsius, you buy whatever energy drink that you have there and then you sit down and you wonder why am I so stressed? (laughs) Well, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out and I'm not saying that is one size and applicable to everyone in this room, I'm just saying what you do and how we operate in life impacts us, that God cares about how you sleep You may have never heard this before, but Psalm 127 says, God, it is vain that you rise early and if you stay up late toiling for food to eat, he grants sleep to those he loves or he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. What's another way physically that we address this? God created us to move, created us to be outside. Man was placed in a garden to work. You know, studies are even finding that exercise... There was a study done by the UK, and someone moving their body, going on a walk, going on a run, doing something active outside. The National Health Service in the UK revealed that regular exercise, like running, has the same effect on your body as antidepressants. That's published in the Journal of Psychiatry and Neuroscience in an article titled, How to Increase Serotonin in the Human Brain Without Drugs. Now, my point is not, Medication, pro-medication, anything. I'm saying you were not created to sit. And sometimes one of the godliest thing you can do is go move and move around. Going outside, like I said, God created us and originally you're placed in a garden outside. Further studies are also showing exposure to natural light and strong links with the serotonin system. What does that mean in like plain language? It means you need light to be happy. And that means you need to get outside. You need to move. Am I oversimplifying it and saying if you just get outside, everything will be okay? No, I'm not saying that. I am saying what you do physically impacts you spiritually and emotionally. Spiritually, how do we battle this spiritually? Like I said, anxious thoughts can lead to depressed feelings. And so we address those anxious thoughts with God's word. We take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive. And we take every thought captive. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That I take every thought, Paul says, you need to run through the filter of obedience to Christ every thought that you have. And so when I find myself anxious over whether or not I'm going to have the job or whether or not my family member is going to pass away or whether or not I'm going to be able to afford rent and increasing cost of living standards, I take that thought and I go, is this what Jesus would say obedient thinking looks like? And if not, I replace it with the truth. God is for me. He's promised to provide for me. He's promised he will never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised even if I can't afford that apartment, he's enough. He will sustain me. And I run everything through. Is this thought obedient to Jesus? Because how we think impacts how we live and how we think impacts what we feel. And so spiritually, we do it with God's word. We run them through the filter of God's word. Finally, or additionally, This also looks like spiritually going to God in prayer. Perhaps one of the most encouraging things in all the stories that I just read were the blatant, shocking honesty that people had when they would talk to God. Like David in Psalm 13 is yelling at God like he can't find him, which I don't know about you. I mean, he's literally like, where are you, God? How long will you forsake me? And I don't know about you, the fact that David is the only person in the Bible called a man after God's own heart, found himself in moments in life where he said, "I feel like I can't feel you, I can't hear you, I can't see you," is deeply encouraging to me. And if you've ever had any of those ever had any of those experiences, emotions, feelings, you're not alone. In fact, you're in good company, and you have been invited to pour out your heart in prayer to God, to pray honestly. It's not like he doesn't see all the things that you're feeling. Maybe the most helpful or beneficial thing some of you could do would be go on a walk and say what you feel to God. God, I feel alone. I feel afraid. I feel sad. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like you don't care. I feel like you're not near. Here's what I know about God. He can handle it. He's God. And those feelings that you're afraid to say out loud, It's not like he doesn't know you feel them anyways. And he wants a relationship with you. And when you feel and express those things, and then you hold on to what is true. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, you're listening to this at a later time, or you're streaming right now, and you, you can't even get up. And so for you, looking like battling, and really for all of us battling against depression involves doing it communally with other people that come over. And they pray when you can't pray. And they talk to you and they talk about God and they read scripture over you and they come alongside of you and they help you walk through that. That you and I are called to battle communally. Having people in our life to help bear burdens. Galatians chapter six says this in verse one. It says that you and I are to bear one another's burdens or carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Christ. The part of fulfilling what Christ wants for your life involves you carrying other people's burdens and them helping you carry your burdens. The word burden in the original Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, is the word baros. It literally means a serious or heavy weight. It's as though the author is saying there are some things in life, they're too heavy to carry all alone. And the worst place to be if you're experiencing depression is in isolation. And God is not done with you. Any lies that you may be believing and the reason why you got to start opening up and talking to other people about it is because the farther and farther you get down the hole of depression in isolation, the more you feel like I can't open up and I can't share about it. And the more you feel like you're all alone and everyone else's life is perfect. and everyone's life is happy. And I'm just so sad and nobody even knows it. And I can't even open up about it. And all of a sudden you get on that track and it takes to a dark place. And one of the ways that you remove the fangs of satan of an enemy of a liar is you speak it out loud you share it to other people and it releases some of that power over you does it release it entirely no that's certainly not guaranteed but one of the ways you experience and battle against depression is doing it communally with other people in your life. If you're at a place where you're considering ending your life, God is not done with you. God is for you. God loves you. He has a plan for you. As bad as you feel right now, those feelings will not last for forever. And you've got to open up and you've got to share with other people. And deciding something that is permanent to address a temporary emotion is a terrible idea. And it does not come from God. It will not lead to better life. It will not lead to Anything good. And you've got to open up with other people and talk about it. Additionally, we choose and we choose to arm ourselves and think about what is true. To stir our affections for God. Some of you, you need to sit down and go, what makes me love Jesus more? Like what, like not just reading my Bible, and you should read your Bible, but like what actually when I just, I'm sitting in nature and it makes me just go, God, you're amazing. I just, I I feel, I feel alive. Maybe it's, it is nature. Maybe it's doing something active outside. Maybe it's listening to worship music with yourself or with other people. I don't know what it is, but you need to know what stirs, to use that Christian language of like, what stirs your feelings, your emotions for God. And do that. And one thing that stirs our emotions is the habit of practicing gratitude. In other words, by choosing to cultivate gratitude, you can actually choose to cultivate joy in your life. And here's what I mean by that. Do you know a study was done that proves what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 of give thanks in every circumstance. The Bible commands you and I to give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And do you know that Harvard and the American Psychological Association did a study that showed that a person expressing a thankful journal is what they called it, but basically five minutes a day of expressing things that they're thankful for. Writing those down, five minutes a day, here's just some things I'm thankful for. They did a study and the conclusion of the study was that a person expressing gratitude for just five minutes or just a few moments every single day will increase their happiness in life the same equivalent as doubling their salary. Now, I don't know about you, But my guess is, if I said, you know what? I'm gonna double everybody's salary in here. You'd probably take it. (laughs) All right, I'll do it, okay? (laughs) And yet, you have the American Psychological Association saying, you may not be able to double your salary tomorrow, but you can decide to increase the amount of joy that doubling your salary would by expressing thanks to God and continually expressing, God, thank you. Man, thank you that my car broke down because it means I have a car. I'm one of the 1% in the world that have a car. God, thank you that I got a cold today because it makes me thankful for all the other days that I don't feel bad. God, thank you that I wasn't able to sleep in my room because we had friends that were coming in town because it means that I have friends. I don't know what it is, but you can take anything and you can express gratitude to God. God, thank you. I don't know what y'all are laughing at right now, isn't that? is thats it the friend, friend coming in town? Look, I'm making these up on the spot. People, okay, give me some good grief. But whatever it is, that you and I can choose and cultivate joy. Will that make it all go away? No, but you and I are called to combat it physically spiritually, and to choose to trust that even if God doesn't make it go away, you can still pursue the calling and the purpose God has for your life of knowing him, walking with other people that know him, and making him known. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I wish so desperately I could just say, hey, if you will just hit this button Any depression you feel or ever face for the rest of your life will go away, but I can't, and it would be a lie. But no matter what you face, God has promised that he can sustain you, and as dark as it feels, he is near. And he has not forgotten you, and he's invited you to call out to him and experience a real relationship with him. Finally, we wait patiently with hope that healing If you break your arm, it's gonna take time to heal. When you're depressed, it's a breaking of your heart and it takes time to heal. And the good news is Jesus is an amazing healer, but we wait patiently and we wait in this world knowing that even if he never takes it away, even if I battle this for the rest of my life, there's coming a day when he will wipe every tear away from my eye, Revelation chapter 21 says. He will make everything broken and put it all back together again. And in the meantime, He promises everything bad that you face. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. Think about this verse. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things. That means anxiety, depression, all things. That he is at work and we wait patiently with hope. The apostle Paul in that same chapter and about to land the plane said that I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. Paul, who suffered a lot. I mean, the apostle Paul, I don't know what you know about his story, multiple times thrown in prison for being a Christian, attempted suicide on his life, had physical scars all over his body from being whipped for the name of Jesus, was shipwrecked multiple times, experienced tremendous pain and hardship. And he says, I consider... Everything we suffer in this life, including the beheading he was about to face, all of it not worth comparing to what's coming. And he would say, if he's here, don't lose hope. Don't let go. In the midst of that darkness, talk to other people about it. In the midst of being overwhelmed and what you're feeling about it, you're not crazy, you're not alone, but don't let go. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And what's ahead it's, there's no comparison to whatever you face. It's a Pretty mind boggling statement to say. When a couple of years ago, I was invited to do a wedding in Crested Butte, Colorado. And the wedding basically, the couple said, Hey, if you, can, um, if you can do it, man, we'll cover everything cover your flights, cover the hotel, and cover your room. And so we added on to the wedding just like a, a family vacation and the day came and we packed up and we got to the airport and in order to get to Crestview, you had to kind of take multiple different plane flights and then get in on like a three hour car ride drive. And when you travel with kids, I know none of this room knows this, but there's coming a day, if you have kids, you're gonna get on a plane and I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Whatever like we do to ISIS, I wouldn't want them to experience this because, You're traveling with kids and it's just horrible, especially when they're little kids because you're carrying multiple car seats and you're carrying pack and plays, which is like a name for a portable crib. And you're carrying all this luggage. You got your stuff. And then you got kids that you can't carry because you're carrying all of those stuff. So you're just trying to like, hey, come on, come on, little Johnny. And you're trying to walk through the airport and trying to get in. It's like you're doing a maze and they're running everywhere all around you and you put everything down. It just is a nightmare. And the entire time I was thinking, if we could just get to the hotel. If we could just get to the hotel, if we could just get to the hotel, it's gonna be worth it. It's terrible right now, it's horrible right now. I'm taking years off of my life, but if we can just get to the hotel, it's gonna be worth it." And the apostle Paul would say, it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. And for billions and billions of years, the pain and the sorrow and the heartache, which is real, it's gonna be worth it. And so don't let go, don't lose sight, Finally, Jesus tells us or we're told about Jesus like I mentioned earlier. He not only understands what you're going through because he understands the human heart. He's a God who's able to empathize and move towards you because he himself experienced horrific pain, sorrow. Was described in Isaiah chapter 53, verse three. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. I don't know what your favorite description of Jesus is. My guess is that's not one of them. But it's certainly one of the descriptions the Bible gives us. And when he's on this planet, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. In the garden, Jesus prayed, my soul is crushed to the point of death. Jesus, in Hebrews chapter two, we're told, was made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of his people since he himself had gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us. When we are in a time of need, the God who is there, he sees all the heartache, he sees all the pain, he sees the depression and he's not unable to empathize. If anything, he's more acquainted with grief than anyone you will ever know. And he did so on the cross where he went to die, to defeat death, to defeat depression, and he came back alive so that we have hope in the face of heartache. So that we know no matter what we face in this life, The victory and depression, it will not win. And listen to me very closely. Here's the heart that I have. There are friends in this church. There are people who were overwhelmed by that darkness. And they made a decision out of that depression to end their life. And they were Christians and they were attempting to follow God. And they acted out of that because they felt unable to break the power of that depression. And depression is powerful, but Jesus is more powerful. And you've got to open up and you've got to go to him and you've got to talk about it with other people. You're not alone. And yet you have got to make the decision. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to choose even when I don't feel like it. I'm not following those feelings. I'm going to choose to talk to other people about where I'm struggling, where I need help. It's going to be worth it. And you will find God is near to the brokenhearted and is a God who's able, like Hebrews tells us, to empathize with our weaknesses, with our sadness, with our sorrows. Let me pray. Father, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone listening online, anyone in the 14 different Ports Live locations, that they are sitting in the valley of depression, sadness, sorrows, whether it's from things that have happened to them or whether it's just from whatever the case. You would meet them where they are. You would be bigger than the fear, bigger than the sadness. Their awareness of you would be more real than what they're walking through. And you would help them to open up and share with somebody else. They'd be reminded of what's true. You're not done. You have a plan for them and you want life to be experienced by them. And so I pray that you would meet them there. And if you don't take it away, they would walk with you. They would sing in the storm. And in doing so, others would see the goodness of our God and marvel at the faith of his people. Thank you that you died on that cross to defeat depression once and for all. One day you will come and wipe away every tear. And while we wait, would you help us, strengthen us, sustain us? We worship you now in song. Amen.